So, well, let me let me just take a moment to just express um, just my gratitude. I I know. I mean, this is something that goes on behind the scenes that you know people don't see, but just the amount of preparation and time. I mean, the, the sheikh was in, was exhausted and in a lot of pain last night all the way through as he stayed up to prepare and got up early again today and prepared for this incredible surah. I mean, this has this goes on regularly and people just don't see it, but um, I just wanted to say, like, if you could see and witness what goes into the preparation, you would be amazed. And it's, it's truly, um, it's, miraculous but it's more so a testament to the you know the sheikh's strength and commitment um and just you know to persevere um and so i just i feel like i need to testify and witness to this fact and then when you see actually what is produced and what we go through and what we learn um it's it's just amazing because he also goes through that that process of, of feeling like a failure and feeling like you know he didn't do a good job and like you know of course after this is over he's going to go into the all the different thoughts about how he could have presented it differently and maybe he should have said this and maybe he shouldn't have left out that um and you know so just please pray because i just you know when i sit here and i listen i'm i am just amazed and and just so grateful because i think there is no way i could ever access anything like this knowledge um, and the fact you know just underscores to me just the vast difference between real scholars and people who like to just get up and shoot from the hip and say anything about what they think you know strikes them because this type of this meaning is it's just like you know it requires someone who is truly committed to investing the time and the energy and you know studying the you know the the culture and the language and the everything that goes into understanding the, the idioms of the day and what was happening with the prophet and even painting a picture for us about you know what life was like so we could imagine you know these prophets as human beings which i i mean it just doesn't strike you unless someone tells you the story and um i i always end up like at one point in every halakha we go through i get like this visceral chill where it's like, oh my God, this is something that there is no way I could ever have learned in any other space in any other way. So I just want to express my my personal gratitude. I know that a lot, I mean, I'm sure everyone feels the same way. And I wish that more people, you know, will come across this because it just, you know, opens the world, you know, the meaning of everything. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so does anyone want to start a question here? Uh, before can, can before we start this question, can I I, I want to uh, just mention I made a mistake last Hanukkah. It was a mistake I made. Yeah. <laughs> I I was talking about the four types of intellects, um, the the intellect al aql al hayluni and al aql al malaki or the malakat al aql or al aql al fali and al aql al mustafad. And I said that manat taklif or legal obligation rests with the third type of intellect. And I misspoke. It rests with the second type of intellect, not the third. But I realized after the halakha, as I was going through the process of hating what I've done, <laughs> and, uh, and then it occurred to me, oh my god, I misspoke. And so it has tormented me all week. Okay. Um, we'll I'll, we'll fix the recording, so we'll insert this little bit, so people yeah, don't yeah, miss it. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Joe, go for it. 
Thank you so much, Professor. Um, I can't speak as passionately or as eloquently as Grace, but I certainly echo all the uh, sentiments. You really brought the chapter to life. Uh, I think this is more of a clarification, or I think you may have alluded to it at the end, but I just kind of wanted to kind of maybe tease it or bring it out. When we were going through the halaqa, I thought the big reveal was kind of going to be, you know, which of these communities resemble the Quraysh, and the kind of reveal was going to be all of them do different facets of the despotism of the Quraysh. You know, we got the Muslims being tortured and killed, Pharaoh. The blind defense of tribal uh, Quraysh, we've seen that elsewhere. The economic injustices and Mutafafin, um, mm. all these kind of things. So is 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 that something, did I read that into that or is, were you kind of getting at this? Could, could it be no, that no. each of these are different facets of? Yeah, but I, I mean, it's true. Um, but Can you please I, repeat the question? The, the question is, you know, Joe's saying that he thought that part of the big reveal at the end was that, you know, all of the seven forms of injustice that we, we saw um, exists within society of Quraysh. The, the, the cruelty, the, the racism, the elitism, the dishonesty, the financial dishonesty, and so on, the greed. And it is definitely true that this is um, the case. But I think that, um, I think all seven probably existed with all of these societies in the first place. But the reason that the Quran, and the Quran does this every time it retells a story, it emphasizes a different aspect. It's like, and, and this is what I believe about Surah Shara, that, oh yes, it was speaking to the Prophet and it was consoling him, and the minute it tells him, you know, you might be killing yourself over them, but, you know, it's up to Allah. Effectively, that's a consolation. I mean, if you're the prophet and you hear this from God, okay, stop killing yourself. If Allah would have wanted, they would have all believed. You don't need to hear the rest. I think all the rest is coming to speak to generations that come later. It is telling us, you know, listen, the dynamics of reform and confronting injustice will remain the same forever. And despots will, will come in different, you know, with different shades of emphasis. You know, some of them will be more racist than anything. Some of them will be more dishonest about finances than, than anything or, you know, some of them will be more elitist and classist than anything. But fundamentally, it is the same story of despotism over and over. And the fact that it always looks like the odds are insurmountable is not for you to worry about. That's for God. Your job is to confront the injustice and leave it up to God what to ultimately do about this confrontation. And 
that's the hardest challenge. I mean, because it, if you understand Surat Sharaf, for it, it effectively is telling you all those who are going to lend their ear to the spin masters, the, those who justify and legitimate injustice and defend injustice, are part of the Dalimun. And that's the, the consistent. They're, they're part of the, the, the unjust as, as much as the unjust themselves. And that's the, I mean, sort of the shara for, uh, uh, um, there's actually a, a really remarkable message, uh, passage. Um, uh, Abu Muslim al-Kharasani, the, the famous um, advocate for the Abbasids, claimed that Surah al-Shara um, was describing the Umayyads, the Umayyun, the Amuds, and that its discourse on spin masters applied to the poets who were defending the Umayyads and the Umayyads, and he said in a very famous speech where he quotes Surah Al-Shara and then he says that uh, Allah was talking to us about the Umayyads and their injustices and so on. And then I found a, a, a passage, um, um, I don't remember the, the name of the history book right now, but uh, that comments on this and says, and the irony is that Abu Muslim al-Khurasani was no less unjust and no less of a spin master than the Umayyads that he attacked. Um, and this was in a, in a, in a book of history, not, not a book of tafsir. And I thought to myself, wow, these people had an innate understanding of this surah, far more than we do. Which again confirms my theory that the early recipients of the Quran, you know, they didn't need to write big books of tafsir because they were very close to the message, and they understood what the what the Quran was telling them, um, and that obviously waned with passage of time. Anybody else? I know. Chicken time for Henry. Hold on. Okay. So, um, can we just start? So, um, there's a question about uh, Saleh, the nation. And do you think that their sin? has anything to do with animal cruelty also and the concept of not sharing resources with animals? Yeah, um, that actually has been something that I has intrigued me for a very long time because they, um, um, they were disdainful towards the idea that they have to share um, dedicate this type of resource for, for an animal. Thank you. Um, 
but I think the answer is yes. Because, but, but even broader, because inshallah um, we'll get to it when we see how much of the Quran and how much of the traditions of the Prophet والسلام, animals. Uh, um, it, it it was I mean, animals were a part of the family, I mean, and and it it was in um, and so we we are the one who has become who have become as moderns alienated from how much animals, not just uh, entitled, uh, just share our resources, but share our homes. Um, it, you know, animals were not um, something that you need to think about as something you, you adapt to because you, are, you sanitize your space from the impact of animals. From the hair of animals, the smell of animals, the, the 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 whatever animals produce, animals were considered part and parcel of the family. Uh, very much, and and when, you know, a horse would die, or a mule would die, or a donkey would die, there were actually poems written, mourning the loss, of, a, or a camel would die. It, it was it was an event in the life of a family. Um, and so you would be surprised by how humanistic their thought, um, surprised in, but, but because of our modern consciousness, but historically it made perfect sense. If you didn't treat animals well, you would be putting your entire lifestyles at, lifestyle at peril. Um, Okay, so I'm going to combine two questions. I know this is, this is you're probably expecting this question. Um, Salam, Professor, thank you for another amazing session. Um, apologies in advance if the question is a tricky one and not directly related to the theme of the surah. I've heard verses 165 and 66 quoted as evidence of the Quran expressing a negative judgment of homosexual acts, but in the session this aspect didn't emerge, and I was wondering if you could comment on this point. And then the second person said, I will piggyback on that. I understand the raping story comes more from some ahadith, the Quran's Arabic in the surah, and other places seem to indicate focus on approaching the same gender for males rather than mention of actual rape or aggression. Can you explain if the ahadith are strong and where we get the context for disregarding homosexuality as the crime or at even, um, at least as part of the crime? Well, um, The the language of the Quran. I mean, in Surah Al-Shara, it's it's not the um, uh, there there that's not the most often quoted uh, ayat in terms of um, um, but the expression that I think the the Atatuna al-Qur'an min al-'Alamin. 
وتذرون ما خلق لكم ربكم من أزواجكم بل أنتم قوم عادون The language of the Quran itself can be interpreted either within a context of what we know about or what has been reported about Qawmulut, uh, their extreme unkindness to guests. And, and, and that, I, I think, everything that we have received about Qawmulut tells us that it is not just that uh, they, I mean, and it's rather odd because it, we, what we know about homosexuality is that it's a percentage of people, but for the entire tribe to indulge in the same precise act, um, and this is not, you know, this, this is something that warrants pause because do we, do we ever know of of a society that is a hundred percent homosexual, um, or a tribe, or a, that is a hundred percent homosexual, and so when we find that type of practice as has existed in some areas, that is often not an indication of what we are talking about normally about our this day when we, we talk about someone who's attracted only to the same gender. Um, but we are talking about a, a form of socialization that um, makes it a point to indulge in that practice for other purposes. Now, the other purposes, it could be, as has happened sometimes in the Roman Emperor, Empire, as a a form of proving that you have that you, your your sexual prowess and your sexual strength and that you can copulate or have you know have or penetrate anything including male female or animals which uh, or it could be as with these people as a form of dominance. So the whole idea that it is not just homosexuality is actually not just a new one. It is, it, it all centers around that idea of a society that is committed to the practice. Now, what often is reported about the, the, the Islamic law and homosexuality, it's not actually the Quran so much, but our hadiths that reportedly say that, uh, um, that talk about um, sodomy and sodomy between men and the punishment for sodomy between women. So it is not the, we know that the Quran doesn't talk about punishment. And it doesn't really talk about sodomy explicitly. It talks about commute. And it doesn't really talk about homosexuality as a concept. It talks about commute, the people of Wood. It is hadith that talk about criminal punishment for sodomy between men that we get the, 
the, the law of homosexuality or the entire thing about homosexuality and so on. And that hadith, um, you know, th th that is a long debate. So the, the Quranic discourse on Qawm Lut itself, it, by its nature, um, you know, I, I don't see it as it does, it it tells us something about Kamalut, but it also must be taken in the context of how they deal with the guests of Lut, uh, what we know about, um, uh, and the narratives about Kamalut. Interestingly, is not just hadith, but it is a Muslim jurist that copied it also from a compilation of what the Bible says about the people of Lut, uh, what some of the mythology of of Arabs, like for instance, that they would sexually violate, um, uh, that they would rape caravans and then sexually violate people they found in these caravans or sodomize them, is from Arabic poetry and Arabic mythology, uh, not from Hadith. Um, So, you know, it, the discussion about sodomy, especially sodomy between men, would have to deal with the hadith that talk about criminal penalties to sodomy between men. Um, and that's a big topic that I don't want to get into. We have to get into. Any more questions here? I actually have a question. Um, I thought it was very interesting um, about how this chapter covers seven prophets and seven um, societal sins, as you pointed out. And it raised to me, you know, sort of the common understanding in Christianity of the seven deadly sins, you know, and maybe with, and also the seven virtues. So I sort of quickly looked it up. Um, the seven sins being pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth, um, opposed to the virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, courage, faith, hope, and charity. I'm just wondering if there might be any kind of oh. relationship or connection that, you know... Um... Well, honest truth is, I don't know because I never thought of it. Oh. Um, never occurred to me. So, is this from you? Yeah. So, Sheikha Grace has to answer <laughs> that. I, I, I don't know Sheikha Grace. Um, okay. Well, uh, you forced me once once to watch a horror movie about the seven deadly sins. That's so true. that is actually why yeah. you inspired me. <laughs> what was the name of that movie? Seven. 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 Oh, yeah. It was about the seven deadly sins. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, but that's a very interesting idea. I don't know. I, need, I would need to study it. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Um, Regarding state doctrines and justifications of power, we see superpowers justifying their projects as instituting civilization and progress, for example. Are there detailed reports of Pharaoh justifying his regime along with his, his own deification and arrogance? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable because of, uh, if, I mean, inshallah, that, that will come, but the Pharaoh consistently talked to his people as I'm doing what is the best for you. And isn't the, the civilizational project and the whole thing of the white man's burden and so on, 
I mean, it's essentially that. I'm doing what is best for you. Um, it is not that I am doing what is best for me and you just have to obey. But the, that, that essential, <laughs> that essential way of talking to people, um, it's exactly as the Quran talks about, that Pharaoh thought little, so little of his people that when it's like, it's exactly when the when people who are arrogant um, actually find themselves popular and find themselves um, their, their arrogance becomes translated into charisma or and and people actually embrace them and follow them. So those who talk to people in with sort of a, a, a distinct air of arrogance and even sense of superiority. Uh, the remarkable thing is that those who are of weak character and weak morality are actually attracted by that and find the air of arrogance, in the air of arrogance, a, a sense of security. Um, that they're in good hands. And if they listen to someone who says, as the Prophet ﷺ did, I avail you nothing, as he did with Surah Al-Shara, you are accountable before God and I can do nothing for you, good or bad. It is all up to you and your accountability and your responsibility. People who are weak in character and weak in morality are not comforted by that. They they actually are repelled by that because they want to hear someone who is going to say, you know, I know what's good for you and just listen to me and you'll be fine. And that has not changed. That, that remains... Um, Thank you. Um, another question. Um, there are some places I find verses specifically regarding Allah as the healer, as in Dua Ibrahimi, wondering about using these as treatment for our ailments. And is one such as Ayah 80 sufficient to use, or should they be all used in conjunction, as in Arukia? Um. Allah is is the healer as long as you don't rely on that to the exclusion of rational scientific medicine because also as the Prophet said that there is no ailment except that Allah has created a cure for it in nature. Um, it, it, all the the I mean even medicines, although pharmaceutical companies don't exactly point out that fact, but it, all pharmaceuticals it basically process things that Allah created. It, it, these are all you know. We're we're not when we take a a medicine, we're not taking something that. It's simply processed from what Allah created. Um, 
I mean, we, we could process it in ways that are harmful um, or that radically alter it, it, the, the means or the reasons for which it was created, but that's a separate matter. Um, now, so you do your part and you use the laws of nature that Allah has created. Um, then, on top of that, you use the ruqya. And the ruqya, I prefer that it would be the full dua of the ruqya. Can you explain not, what that is for people who don't know? The, 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 you could, there are apps now, if you put ruqya, R-U-Q-Y-A-H. Uh, Y-A-H. Uh, there are apps, and they'll give you full du'as that reportedly the Prophet ﷺ would repeat when someone is ill. Um, and there are people, uh, now it has become popular in the Muslim world, that there are people who are so-called, known as Quranic healers, um, that come and they read over people who are ill in order my I prefer Rokia performed by a person, a loved one over a loved one is always preferred over a professional uh, either. And anyone that comes to do Rokia because of money rather than piety or love, it, it, that's that's not good. Um, I don't think that ruqya is effective when it's done for the purposes of money, um, because part of the whole ruqya is your iman that behind it and your your passion for the person. And finally, that um, you don't know that the person will come if you pay someone to come to do a ruqya, you, you don't know if they're actually pious. I, I've known some so-called Quranic healers are actually surprisingly, you know, they go home and they, they smoke hashish for the rest of the night and stuff like that. And so obviously they're defrauding, defrauding people. But for those who are pious and those who do it out of sincerity of heart, I've seen it have remarkable effects, uh, perhaps even even on myself, as, uh, as you know, in the case of... Um, a time when I was very ill. Um, um, you know, most of the time I read the Ruqya myself, or for myself. But it, it is it, it is an entire dua that's available on apps that they reported that the Prophet wasalam, there are different versions of it, or it, it would recite, and I prefer that you do the entire thing rather than just a little snippet from uh, any one surah. Um, this is now the second surah that we're encountering the verse to lower your wings to the oh, believers. And but this time around when we, when we got to it, you um, you made a distinction between between Muslims and believers, which is not, not. You've said that before, but is there a difference in the rights that 
we owe each other as Muslims versus the rights that we owe each other as believers because it doesn't say to lower your wing to the Muslims. And if that's the case, if there is a distinction, doesn't that raise a problem with determine, how do you determine who are the believers versus the Muslims? Doesn't that enter into a paradigm of judging each other? Yeah, no, the, in Can this... You, um, repeat the question? I'll paraphrase it. Uh, what Sharif is asking is when it says, this is um, verse 215, where it says, lower your wing for those who follow you among the believers. Um, and Sharif is saying that, is it believers or Muslims? Because if we make a distinction between believers and Muslims, then that's going to create social problems in that you, you you know there are some people that you'd say are muslim but not believers and so they're not covered by lower your wing lower wing means treat them kindly and treat them compassionately um well first surah al-shara when it says um Lower your wing to those who believe you. It's talking to the Prophet and it's talking to, to about those who choose to follow the Prophet. So obviously what it's talking about at the time are basically people who take the shahada and say to the prophet i am following you at a time when only a committed person would become muslim because you you're going to face persecution there's no question about it the minute it's known that you are now a follower of muhammad you're going to face persecution and that is why it says so it, the juxtaposition here is those who are going to believe you and those who are not going to believe you. Those who are going to believe you, you're going to lower your, your wings for, to them and those who are not going to believe you, you're going to say, well, you have your path and I have my path. So you're going to distance yourself from, from their deeds and their actions. So Khawd al-Janah here, when you say, you know, is, is not a, it's not intended to create, the, the, the distinction between believers and Muslims comes up when the surah keeps telling the Prophet that in reality, the majority will not believe. It, 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 is, it is like saying, accept the fact that true belief in Allah is a difficult thing. True belief in Allah is not going to be the mainstream thing. There are a lot of people who will, for instance, if you are, if you grow up Muslim and everything you do, you do just because your parents do it as a Muslim. 
but you've never really felt a pang of love or a pang of reference or a pang of anything. What are you? I mean, as a matter of the law, it's concerned you're Muslim. As a matter of how we treat you socially, you're a Muslim. As a matter of what are you before Allah, Allahu Alam. Is it possible that Allah would say, you know what? You're far less, far less Muslim than someone else who grew up in a very different culture. Can you, can any of us say no? It's not possible. It is. I mean, law. Um, Because, I mean, a lot of, and the reason I, I mentioned that is that uh, some, you know, of the, the, the usual bunch said, well, look, it says, you know, most will not believe. And if, the, if this was truly Allah, if this was truly divinely inspired, it would have known that in just 10 years, or a bit more than 10 years, all of Mecca would have become Muslim. And look, so the majority had become believers. And that, that doesn't follow. I mean, it's it just not, that's, that's sort of ignoring the entire message and what it's talking about. Uh, but it would be a mistake to try to say, oh, no, I'm going to lower my, I'm just going to be kind to those who are true believers, but I'm going to make a distinction between Muslim and true believers and be really kind to those who are true believers, but not those who are just Muslim. That's not what the surah is talking about. That, that's just completely, completely misses the point of what the surah is talking about. But maybe also because there is ambiguity and we, no one ever knows, you should just be kind to everybody. Yeah, I mean, that is... But, you know... All because especially you know I've seen some people who especially you know people who are for Islamic groups that have been um, just you know despotism has has really done its its job on, on them and they say you know. Why should we be kind to a society that oppresses the heck out of us? And, and, and so they then cite these type of verses to say, see, you know, we should just be kind to those who are true believers. And what they mean by true believers are members of their own movement. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of these ailments, the pathologies that despotism creates is that it, it forces people to, um, to, to, to try to find, uh, it, it, it forces people to look at society with a presumption of hypocrisy. That, you know, I'm going to presume everyone a hypocrite unless proven otherwise, because in despotism makes you assume everyone is dangerous to you unless proven otherwise among the many ailments of despotism. 
again. Thank you so much. Does anybody else have any last questions? Just to acknowledge to um, people um, on Interactive, I'd like to express my profound gratitude for these amazing halakhas. Thank you. May God bless you and Jazakallah for your all your answers and the amazing halakha once again, mashallah. So on that note, thank you so much for joining us. And inshallah, we'll look forward to seeing you at Ramadan, right? On Tuesday. So first day of Ramadan, I think. Yeah. Are we gonna, I know we talked about Did you? Uh, I don't know. Should uh, yeah, we'll no. Should we? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll just say Salam alaikum for Ramadan now. Mubarak. Ramadan Mubarak. <laughs> we'll see you soon, inshallah. Salam alaikum. <laughs>